0: what's driving you? What's, what is motivating you to choose that be, be, behavior essentially? Or what is motivating you to act, act a certain way or choose a certain partner or choose a certain life path or, you know, whatever it is, like, is it because it's really a process of like coming home to yourself and coming home to your authenticity essentially? Because, You know, are you actually choosing that life path because it was a way to um, earn somebody else's acceptance of you? Or did you choose that life path because you know yourself so well that you know what will fulfill you? There's a difference. And I think most people don't stop to question why.
1: think we're going hey we're going hi everybody all right it's a little after 8 p.m griffin is (laughs) patiently waiting although he has an ipad so he's probably not worried about what i'm doing and uh this will be the last live i think before hey what's up kate the last live before um the course is no longer for sale, except I'm going to do some live demonstrations. This will be the last one where I talk about the sort of meteor elements of the course, namely like unpacking some of the words in the course. Um, hey, John, John's uh, John's joining us starting on the 27th. Can't wait for that, John. <clears throat> so Griffin told me, by the way, to stop clearing my throat uh when i'm recording i'm gonna do my best for that griffin hey kate like the plant so i'm i'm multitasking for this one this is a podcast intro for risk Catrill, uh who has an event here on june 30th her second time presenting here and we're going to talk about that when we're done the live um but i figured i might as well do hey jess the face or the social media live and have it be in the podcast intro all at once so that's what's happening i'm gonna try to wrap this up by 8 30 it's 8 10 now and thanks for joining thanks for watching as well if you didn't make it for the live um don't worry about griffin by the way we had a very active day we were paddle boarding out on the river and uh he's he's good and we'll go home, and we'll have some tea, and we'll chill, and we'll wrestle, and we'll go throw a frisbee down on the hill, and then we'll go to bed. So, his iPad time. Hey Jess, hey hey, good to see you, and thanks, thank you, and Julie for our, your support with this course. So, uh, the outline for this live is about the words choice and freedom because the the name of the course is moving out of your own way, the freedom to choose by learning to move. So. My my background is has a lot to do with language. I remember my first college-level course that really stuck out. We literally unpacked the entire name of that class, and that's a big part of what I've been wanting to do here in these lives building up to next Friday, again, when the cart closes for this um, sort of summer session of the course. So... I use words very specifically. Um, that's part of my training. I have a very, for better or worse, very academic background, and it's how I operate. So the name of the course is very specific, and I want to make sure it's as relatively clear as possible as to why it is what it is. So we've talked quite a bit in these lives about <clears throat> what movement means, and we're going to do more of that in this live, but we're also going to try to understand better where i and we because i didn't develop this whole thing by myself um are coming from with the words choice and choose and freedom so i'm gonna slow down now and uh digest some of where i want to go with this and please ask questions as they come to you if if that feels appropriate but for now I'm going to start with a few questions. Hey, there's there's Justin. Let's start with this phrase, the freedom to choose. And here's here's the key question. Okay. I perceive that it is difficult for many of us to agree on certain things. Now, it depends on the context. It depends on the scale. But I'm talking about the largest scale possible, so to speak. Like, what's real? What's reality? Okay? Remember, the name of our business is Koru Real Wellness. Oh, by the way, shout out to uh, Connor, who's, I think, doing his podcast right now. Um, Good stuff there, man. Can't wait to listen to it later. And see you soon. So... I perceive that it is significantly difficult for us, who is us, and to what extent is this true, to agree on what is real, which is another way of saying to prioritize on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day, year-to-year, season-to-season basis, to move forward in some respects. It's difficult. I perceive that it's difficult. Um, it's hard to focus on a task. It's hard to know, you know, what foot, you know, how to move one foot in front of the other sometimes. It depends on the context, it depends on the scale, but in general, it seems pretty tricky. To a large extent, my question is: one, do you think it's difficult? And two, if so why I referenced Tristan Harrison the last um live and he's a he's a really important figure to me. He used the phrase he literally said in the social dilemma, which has informed a lot of my a lot of my passion we'll say these days the social dilemma has in, has informed a lot of my passion these days and a lot of the The drive to really create some of these. um, The course, there'll be a teacher training. There already is a book written, but it's in a first draft form. Tristan Harris has definitely informed a lot of this, specifically because in the social dilemma, he says, if we do not agree upon what is real or that there is even such a thing as reality, we're toast. In the last live, I said, toast obviously is subjective. I'm not gonna, we don't need to unpack what toast means. I'm gonna just simply say that it means. We're at an impasse. We're at a sort of a stance, like standstill. Not able to grow, progress, move forward. And progress is a key word there. So he used the word reality and what is real. Again, the name of this business is Koru Real Wellness. So our primary one of our primary questions when we opened this business, when we started creating this band is this, this brand is to ask ourselves why is it difficult for us to agree does it have to be difficult and tristan just really in 2020 after we'd already been in the business for a couple years really pushed us to feel better about those questions um what do we need in order to make it easier to agree is it a shared language is it a shared perspective is it a shared story probably all of the above and then some (laughs) We're gonna just flat out acknowledge that's been our primary drive from the get-go is to, to the best of our ability with the tools that we have in our tool belt, uh, the people that we have here for this business, to offer our, to offer what we can to better understanding what could be. An agreement. What could be a way to relate to each other and what is real more easily? And it has everything to do with movement. It has everything to do with movement in the sense of there, it being about physics, it being about science, it being about prioritizing, understanding ourselves from the ground up with regard to gravity and the objective effects that gravity has on all of us as well as from the inside out, which is to say the nervous system. So I've talked about the nervous system a lot already, and I want to do so more in this, but mostly we need to really highlight <clears throat> that this is about physics, and this is about really pushing away the conf- the potential excess and the potential confusion and the potential arbitrariness and the ideas and the beliefs and the ideologies not that they're right or wrong but that they may or may they may not be serving this primary objective of arriving at an understanding of reality that we can communicate with each other that we can experience together there's a word I have here that I want to throw in which is compulsions I've acknowledged already that in a sense we're sh- we're sifting on per- we're sh- doing our best to sift through the noise and the excess and the clutter and to see what makes the most sense after that sort of like letting the dust settle like what still stands after we sort of like whoosh, blow the dust away what what do we really see and In order to really do that, we have to, to some extent, consider what a compulsion is and consider the ways in which we act, which is to say move, but also think and relate without meaning to. And that's where the whole freedom and choice part comes into this. <clears throat> so, again, key questions, what can we all, or most of us, agree upon? What makes us, so these these are, at first, big picture questions. And again, my perception is that it's not easy for us to answer them. I also think that's a problem. I think it needs to be easy for us to answer them. And again, I keep referencing Tristan Harris because he's somebody who's informed millions of people with essentially the same questions. I just want to highlight that obviously many people are asking these questions. But to some extent, I, I'm not convinced that the answers are clear enough yet. In fact, I, I know they're not. What makes, what makes us human? Um, can we agree on that? What do we all share as human beings? What do we what fundamentally is consistent for all of us? Not having those answers is a problem, and being able to have those answers to some extent is possible. It's very, very possible if we want to. <laughs> So that that's where we come to our fundamental focus as a business and with this product, this course. We need to have a shared understanding because without this on a day-to-day basis, it's difficult the it's unnecessarily difficult to communicate to each other and to ourselves effectively which means it's unnecessarily difficult to move forward it's unnecessarily difficult to relate and too many of us in these contexts in general don't know where to begin don't know what to do first what to prioritize what makes sense this is the foundation of the foundational questions that we've been exploring thus far as a business in that are behind the scenes, if you will, for this course. Moving out of your own way, the freedom to choose by learning to move. And in this live, this is mostly about the freedom and the the word freedom and choice. Choose. By the way, (laughs) the word freedom is is meant to be provocative. It's a dramatically overused word. And mostly I perceive that it is not very well thought out when it's used. It's basically meaningless in general. Does it have to be meaningless, though? Probably not. But in order for any of the words to translate and to make sense, we have to slow down and think about them. So we've laid out a bunch of key terms here. Hi, Tony. Key terms and key phrases and key components um, that are fundamental to how we're going to go about this exploring of freedom and choice. Physics, science, neuroscience, neuroplasticity, thinking about certain compulsions, which we're going to get into more in a second. Um, the ground up as a phrase that we use a lot, which relates to the effect of gravity and the fact that gravity has a consistent universal effect on all of us. The possibility of understanding how to. The possibility of understanding all of this in a similar enough way is real. It's fundamentally real. Hence Tristan Harris's question, or at least point, that if we don't agree on it, we have a problem. The real, the fact of the matter is we can. There are actually elements that are clearly universal, clearly relevant for all of us. And unless you're inherently thinking that this is all some sort of, that this is all fake or that this is all dream or that there's something um yeah you know, well basically actually the the spiritual stuff if you're really get, if you're too caught up in all of that then you're you're not likely going to have the same priorities so if you if your priorities are if you're foundational fundamentally coming at this with the understanding that everything we experience is is real, there is there is a truth to it then we can look at the pieces and lay them out in such a way that we that makes sense for all of us there is a need to do that if we want this thing called freedom because otherwise it's meaningless otherwise it's just a catchy word that people have gotten caught up in using for a long time and it doesn't really serve anything other than uh emotional connection or propaganda or yeah manipulation um conflict it's really it seems often like a meaningless if not dangerous word without further understanding There is a way for freedom to, to be real. Where does it start and how does it relate to choice? The answer is in this context with respect to the nervous system or with respect to this course, the nervous system. Neurology, fundamentally perceiving ourselves and becoming aware of ourselves with respect to neuroscience and neuroplasticity and how our nerves inform our skeletal muscular organization, like the ability to do this, or this, or this, or to look that way, to look that way, to move your tongue around, to move your jaw around, to move your body around, to join alive, to not. These details are universal. They seem asinine, they seem mundane, they seem worth ignoring. They're not, they're really not. And we do ourselves a great disservice by ignoring them, by um, considering them to be irrelevant. They are essential for understanding each other, ourselves, and each other in a way which serves this freedom to choose. On the simplest scale of being an individual, a relatively self aware individual, Breathing and feeling and circulating and moving electricity through the body. The nervous system is the key. Prioritizing, paying attention to the nervous system. In many ways, it's, it's almost just math. You notice cause and effect. <clears throat> Starting with that, that is, is easiest with movement. Noticing, literally, how you're holding your body, how you're positioning your feet, how you're breathing, starting with that. That's where it begins. Just by doing that, you notice a little bit more about how you have a choice to move differently, potentially hold your body differently to potentially organize your bones a certain way. In yoga, they call it alignment. In other traditions or other um, perspectives, they call it posture. It doesn't matter. Call it whatever you want to call it. It's all the same. Awareness of body, how we're organizing ourselves, is literally just neuroscience. It's just prioritizing the nervous system. That's all. Just starting with that, on a moment-to-moment, mo- being aware of that as much as you can on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day, period. That's it. Immediately, though, there is nuance. There is additional complexity because immediately we're engaged with each other and we're engaged so many other factors. The scale is immediately broader. It's never just a self-aware individual. You can remember to be yourself, to be aware of your breath, to be aware of these things that are the foundations of somatics, that are the foundations of self-awareness on a purely physiological level. Always come back to that. But it's so pertinent to consistently be aware as well of the larger scale, the reality that we're always in relationship with each other and every single thing about around us. So the word compulsions, hey Julie, to what extent this is a question. Are our movement patterns and tendencies and habits based on, please ask me questions if at any point they come to any of you, based on a foundation which we are choosing? I'll repeat that again. To what extent are our movement tendencies and habits and patterns based on a foundation which we are at least mostly choosing? Probably, of all the lives and the jibber-jabber and the rambling that I've been doing, that's the key question to ask yourself. It's the key question I ask myself. I'll repeat it a third time. To what extent are our movement patterns, are your movement patterns, are my movement patterns my habits, my path, my tendencies, based on a foundation which you are choosing, which I am choosing, which we are choosing? To what extent? I can't know that answer for any of us, and you can't know that either. But the question gets to the very key point here. If it's zero <laughs> what do you do with that if if that implies you have no you've you've created no choice on your own everything's just a matter of being affected by other people or influenced by other people or other things so to speak or history etc and that's not necessarily bad that's important likewise you can't be completely free of all influences, you can't be completely free, if you will, of the effects of other people and of information, so to speak, around you, or ideas that cross your mind or that you hear from someone else. You can't avoid it. So to what extent, if it can't be all and it can't be nothing, to what extent is your foundation based on something you've chosen? To what extent is my foundation based on my choosing? To what extent is our foundation based on our choosing? Therein lies the entire point. somewhere in that question, committing to exploring that question, is how we continue to better experience what I'm choosing, what we're calling the freedom to choose. And on the largest scale of every relationship of a country of a culture, however broad you think of it, as a species. That's why discourse exists. And movement, as we're calling it, is the only constant which completely transcends whatever kind of difference we may or may not bring into the bring into the foundation. The differences can be beliefs. The differences can be thoughts, communication styles, uh, our sense of history. Movement is the primary one. If not, I, I said it was the only one. It seems like the only one <laughs> which, consistently presents a working foundation that we can all relate to. We're going to do more of this next week, which is to say look at examples like look at sitting. Um, I want to look at how what every, you know take for example, how the positioning of our feet <laughs> affects our back and how that's consistent for all of us. How our breath affects our thoughts and how that's consistent for all of us. The primary examples that we can, that we're going to be going through in the beginning of the course, that we're going to be exploring a little bit next week, are what we call somatic. They're mostly about you as a self-aware individual, as a body, becoming more attuned to what you're doing. Because it has to start that way. Every tool I've ever experienced, every tradition I've ever explored, it basically always starts with, noticing yourself noticing more about yourself there's a reason that's consistent when it comes to these things when it comes to embracing a life of learning where you consistently notice there's more to learn where you consistently realize There's a need to be open to something new. The foundation is your body. So with this course, we're starting with ourselves, starting with that purely somatic, obviously somatic self-awareness and bringing as much awareness as we can to as many layers as we can in that specific context. But again... We inevitably have to, we have to recognize that we are never just in relationship with ourselves. We are always in relationship to everyone and everything, period. Is that too much to be aware of? No. Does it sound like a lot? Maybe, Maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure what that sounds like to anybody. Is it too much to be aware of? No. And it actually can be really fun. (laughs) Again, freedom to choose should be fun. It's more liberating. From my point of view, the alternative looks painful. The alternative looks like suffering. Is it normal to be aware of... All of these layers, I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care. I care about presenting a foundational approach, a fundamental approach, hey, Ama, which serves on as for as many of us as possible on as large a scale as possible, evolving and progressing together. That's what this course is about. That's what I... That's what I get fired up about, and I believe that's what's necessary. And again, I'll keep referencing him because I, it's, I know I don't exist in a vacuum. It's what Tristan, hey, 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 Alma. It's what Tristan Harris and so many others believe is necessary. The alternative to that, in a sense, is that we perceive just taking care of ourselves. As enough. Now let me say this, we all need to do whatever we need to do to handle whatever we're going through. Essentially, that's true. Um, That's a very simple statement and it's essentially true. In other words, if you can't handle more than dealing with what you're dealing with personally, then you deal with what you're dealing with personally. I'm simply declaring that eventually it never is just it's it's inevitable that you will be deal, you will be taking care of yourself and you'll be considering more you'll be considering the people around you you'll be considering as many relationships as you can inevitably because we have to it's it's purely inevitable considering the larger environment and the larger community is inevitable. I'm personally and and generally here at Corio. Hey, Andrea, our commitment is to attempt to make that process as easy and smooth as possible. Are we doing the best? Are we doing that the best way? I don't know. We're always open to feedback and we're always open to improving our approach. But that, that is the point, to make that process as smooth and easy as possible. Because at the truly, every moment, we are all, and this is why I get labeled a spiritual guy for what it's worth, we are all reflecting some aspect of each other. And if that's not part of the quote-unquote wellness model, if that's not part of health, if that's not part of what it means to be an integrated, aligned, so to speak, um, good person, then I, I think there's something more to consider. This can be the way that we normally perceive ourselves. This can be the way that we normally relate. This can be our shared understanding. There's no question that it can be. And for us, with Koru, the focus is to start with movement. Is that the only way to start? No, I, I really believe there are many ways, but it movement seems like the most obviously ubiquitous, the most obviously, so to speak, transcendent, the most obviously universal, because no matter who you are, you have to move and you have to engage with yourself in some sort of quote-unquote physical way as a nervous system, to come back to that. It's what's most relevant for most of us most of the time it can look like a lot of different things it can look like singing it can look like dancing it can look like running it can look like throwing a frisbee it can look like playing it can look like walking it can look like sitting in silence uh (laughs) It can look like a feast, it can look like a meal, it can look like touch, it can look like making love. It all really is. Frisbee, yeah, we did Frisbee today, Andrea. (laughs) Griffin and I are going to go do some before bed. And it can look like enjoying music, which I know you do quite a bit, and playing music, and... Our commitment is to provide a way of relating to all of this, which seems necessary. From what I can see, it seems necessary, a way of relating to all of this. It isn't just going to be language, but it's definitely necessary for the language to reflect what we're talking about. Without the Movement Foundation, it's too easy to get lost in our stories. It's too easy to get lost in our ideologies. It's too easy to get lost in our beliefs. And they may or may not serve this primary focus that I'm describing here. For now, the nature of this course, the nature of... What we mostly are working on here at KORU is to give as simple a model as possible for how to connect with ourselves and with each other. Hey, hey there, Fern boy. (laughs) Hey, Tim. In a way which objectively reflects reality. Movement's just the best model we have why movement matters (laughs) we're all in that it's the easiest way to see how we're all in this together and so committing to that as a as an aspect of the model if not the foundational if not the foundation for the whole model is the is how we can play with this freedom and choice. So with that, I hinted at Movement Matters. I'm going to finish the podcast intro, and that's it for now. More next week. Thanks. Okay. So we're here (laughs) to talk about Riss, we're here to talk about a podcast. Riss, hey, it was so good for us to finally do this. I say finally, but you know, we uh, we did it. Good job. So, Riss, I uh, she's she's the best. Um, if you didn't, you know, I'll make notes. You can skip that whole piece about the course there. Um, make notes so you can do so. A uh, quick note, though, about risk. So she's going to do her second presentation here at Koru. This time, the focus will be shadow work. Uh, I know some of you are already coming. That's fantastic, uh, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about what this, what her relationship is with that concept and that teaching and that paradigm and you're g- it's a big conversation we get into some very very tricky questions neither one of us has the answers to them and we're not trying to have the answers to them but it was so good to get into the questions and i'm going to try to paraphrase the one that really that she and i were really unintentionally i don't map this stuff out with people we just Uh, we've had previous conversations, so I know that we can do it. Uh, and, And this was clearly something that she and I could consider, but by no means are we giving the answer. The question is basically about suffering, okay? And to what extent do we tolerate unnecessary suffering? But more specifically, if... There is such a thing if there is suffering if there is unnecessary suffering why and i suggested the possibility that it's because we fundamentally tell ourselves that it that it's it's required for growth we tell ourselves that to to grow and to evolve as a human being and as a as a life form really on this planet we have to suffer to some extent and what i what i'm positing is that whether or not that's true completely or to some extent it's it causes unintentionally this is what i'm suggesting it unintentionally causes a sort of complacency about how good life can be. It's almost as if we are... (laughs) We reinforce our own complacency because we think, oh, well, that's how life is. And I don't know that that can be different, but I do know that the complacency isn't necessary. There are plenty of examples, the least the most obvious two or maybe well maybe there's more obvious ones to you but the only two that i can think of are one death of course death and the grief that comes with that loss it makes sense for that to result in what we could call suffering or or just sad you know whatever you want to call it we can oversimplify it and call it suffering but it makes sense that that's that's part of our experience That's the only one I'm sure of. I'm not sure childbirth, and please don't get upset with me about this. I just am basing this off of uh, (laughs) anecdotes that have nothing to do with my experience. Um, But I don't know that childbirth has to be a cause for suffering or, or pain. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody does. But there are stories of it not being that. So it begs the question of to what extent does it have to be? Let's forget about that one, though, because it's too loaded. There's too many variables. Death alone is obvious, okay? We're all going to die at some point. And in that, built into that is a kind of, there's both a beauty and a sadness. And without a doubt, to some extent, it's a very, very, it's a cause for suffering. Okay, so does that, however, mean that the, the nature of our experience as... Animals on this planet is inevitably something less than ideal. <laughs> and in that I am saying we nobody has a definitive answer to that question, but asking it matters and exploring the possibility that it is somewhat, if not mostly, just a belief and just an idea and we're simply reinforcing it based on our own, um, quite frankly, based on our own laziness and or ignorance, that is a question worth asking. Especially because if you actually care about moving past certain We'll just say warlike tendencies. If we actually care about a certain kind of peace and a certain kind of harmony, maybe there's a deeper, and this—that's what I'm referring to with these questions—a deeper um, blockage in our own psyche that we haven't gotten to the bottom of yet. And I'm suggesting to some extent it's been there for a long time and we possibly don't need it. It's possible that it doesn't have to be there. So yes, there's a Buddhist element to that, so to speak. Yes, there's thousands of years of concept built into that. And we need to really be honest with ourselves and clean house and consider whether consider what is or is not actually true and what is or is not just based on ideas and beliefs. Which of course (laughs) is partly what you do with quote unquote shadow work. Hey, did you know that we like donuts? (laughs) That was an appropriate transition. So thank you to Duck Donuts for sponsoring. Thank you to Service Events for sponsoring. Thank you to Native Cafe, who sometimes serves delicious donuts, also Curiosity in particular donuts. Thank you to the Rodale Institute, Jeff Catch in particular. Thank you to Tony Ortiz Art. Love you. And thank you to the one and only Philadelphia Table Company. I said in the last intro that I would give you all a shout-out in this intro. I know your businesses aren't dependent upon these uh, podcast intros or podcasts in general, but hey, I love you all and think the world of you all and want to make sure that you know how grateful I am and that we are for your support. And with that, I have said a lot, and I am aware of that, trust me. Here is Miss Marissa Riss-Catrill in a nutshell. Riss is a shadow work coach, a published author, speaker, and ceremonial facilitator. She is passionate about helping people hack the inner workings of their minds and befriend the shadows that prevent them from reaching their highest potentials. Riss is also a writer and house astrologer for the brand Tamed Wild. She draws upon mythology and the language of the stars for guidance, symbolism, and insight into healing and personal development. You can find her speaking, coaching, and offering readings at retreats, conferences, ceremonies, for example, at Coru Real Wellness on June 30th, and more. You can also find her work by navigating to the following platforms, which I will put in writing as well. Uh, MarissaCottrill.com, Instagram is at AllMyAncestors, her YouTube is AllMyAncestors, and um, TamedWild.com. We'll reiterate all of that. This is a great conversation. Thank you so much, my friend. I really, really appreciate you. And hopefully there's more. More to come. With that, enjoy. Be well. I think we're all good. We're just testers out. Sure. Mm. <laughs>
0: Does this sound good?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, pretty great. Cool.
1: Okay. No Ghostbusters. Got it. <laughs> Note to self. It's Don't.
0: it's a pain point for me. It's a little Don't bit too bring sensitive. up
1: fake ghosts, only the real ghosts.
0: Ain't nobody got time for fake ghosts.
1: <clears throat> I've never played horse with anyone in here.
0: Well, now you've played I.
1: <laughs> well, would you have gone with A? one A one-letter version of horse, a one-letter word, that is essentially the game horse. You have gone with A instead of I. I'm analyzing I how I, you're I, I probably analyzing me because I chose I. <clears throat> is, that, is that too much? I'm
0: not analyzing you. I was just curious.
1: <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I Maybe you need were... to do
0: your shadow work around why you picked I. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I do. I'm sure we all do. I thought of it as either A or I. Yeah. Okay. Well, you brought it up already. That was easy. What's shadow work? (laughs) Did you prep that answer?
0: No, I did not. (laughs) I did not, but it's a pretty easy one to answer. Um, So shadow work is... Originally, the term was coined by the psychiatrist Carl Jung. Um, But there's a lot of different ways to practice it. So it's not like there's like a one method of practicing shadow work. Um, But essentially what it is in the traditional sense... I really thought
1: we were going to talk about ghosts and Ricky Gervais for a while, longer there, but let's just talk about shadow work. That seems appropriate.
0: Do you want to talk about ghosts?
1: No, I want to talk about the main It seems like you want to
0: talk about ghosts.
1: (sighs) No, no. I'll interject like I'm doing now with my stupid comments and you'll just keep us on track.
0: Well, we can explore inner ghosts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like the ones causing me to interrupt. To pick eye. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's probably relevant. Yeah. I'll write that down. I just did. Take notes. I just did. (laughs) I have a notebook. Okay. Go on. Carl Jung. I mean, it's like we just went from Ghostbusters and Nerf basketball and Ricky Gervais to Carl Jung. So there you go.
0: Shadow worker is a colorful experience.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) And peanut butter coffee.
0: The best from Wawa. So yeah, shadow work. Um, So in the traditional sense, it's basically tapping into the unconscious parts of yourself that um, it's essentially like a, a fragmented part of yourself, if you will. So basically what happens is... Typically, it's early on in childhood, you experience someone or something happens where you learn that a part of yourself isn't worthy or isn't acceptable. And so it's like the parts of you now in your adulthood that you deny, reject, and disown and that lie within the unconscious and cause all sorts of issues in terms of like, it can manifest in jealousy. It can manifest in anger. Um, It can manifest in um, like being an overachiever. Um, It can manifest in a lot of different ways. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, like if you're, if you think about science, like your body's always kind of trying to reach this level of homeostasis. And it's kind of the same way with emotion where there's an imbalance and an imbalance kind of happens when you feel like you need to compensate or you feel like you're coming from a place of lack. And typically it's because you have a part of you that didn't necessarily get what it needed at some point, which is acceptance, which is love, which is encouragement and all of those pieces. And what happens is if we perceive perceived ourselves to be abandoned at one point point. Um, In the sense that in the form of being not accepted or in the form of being rejected, um, later on in life, we'll actually abandon ourselves. And that can look like people pleasing. It can look like, um, yeah, having really poor boundaries. Um, It can look like working too hard. And that's kind of actually not honoring your own boundaries. So... um, So that's really when shadow is at the wheel, when there's a part of you, a darker part of you, which is really what the shadow piece speaks to is the darker unconscious parts of yourself that you're not aware of that are at the wheel, but are actually preventing you from being your authentic self. So you're operating from a place of like not being in your truth. You're operating from a place of shadow.
1: Thank you for that. You're welcome. <clears throat> As you salute the the ghost. So it was just a very quick transition from literally playing Nerf basketball to sitting down <clears throat> and getting right into this. And I appreciate you giving me – that was helpful. That was a courtesy to me at the very least where I was able to get more focused because um, that's a lot, and it's a big deal, and it's a very relevant piece for – seemingly every aspect of our experience, if not literally every aspect of our experience, of course uh you and I have talked since we've met quite a bit about all of this and gotten very personal, <clears throat> even more so recently of course um but I kind of immediately want to like jump to a macro piece and maybe we'll and we'll meander around with um with both the uh the more close to home and the more big picture. So you said homeostasis and there's this tricky tendency that I perceive in general, not related to your work or my work or any one particular kind of work, which I think is all largely about the same thing even, and I think that's why you and I can have um, really lighthearted and playful and joking banter and still completely respect each other. To say the least, um, hopefully that was obvious. And that is that I, I don't know if this word homeostasis um, comes across in a particular way to anybody, but there's this question that stands out to me about, is that ever complete? You know, with respect to like the body always seeking, you said homeostasis, and I I think that's true. Balance is a similar kind of concept, Um, whatever synonyms you want to use. I perceive that the trickiest, I really do believe more and more that this is like maybe the main challenge for all of us. It seems like it is for me, and it seems like it is for a lot of people I know. But the trickiest challenge is to accept that that's not a permanent piece of life, if you will. You could translate that and say that in other ways, but there's no ending homeostasis. not like, oh God, I finally got the fucking homeostasis that I've been working for for so long and it's all done. Yes. Or whatever imagery or sounds you put in there. And you're nodding, of course. Yeah. Well, you are pretty goofy. So, but you're nodding, of course. And I think that's hard to deal with. That fact I think it's hard to even wrap your head around that fact. Do you? Go for it. I mean, you're you're clearly thinking things here as I'm looking at you. Nodding.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a really great point to bring up. But I think if you're constantly focusing just on coming back into homeostasis, if that's your sole intention, I'm not, I don't it's almost like you're also missing the point. You know what I mean? So I don't think that, yes, it's important to come back into homeostasis, um, but that's, the intention is actually more so love. And when you love, you naturally end up into, in a place of homeostasis, but you're not trying to grasp at a destination, it's not focused on—and I was just talking to, the, to a client about this the other day because she had this, like, <clears throat> burning desire to align with a life purpose, and it was so intense that she completely <clears throat> couldn't see the journey right in front of her. She was so attached to the destination of getting that, that that in and of itself was coming from a place of lack. You know what I mean? So if you're so focused on a destination, it's like, why? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the fear driving that? Why are you so afraid to be with what is? And I think you naturally come to a state of homeostasis without attachment of it staying that way. Does that make sense?
1: It's it's a big piece, and I, I mean, it's a. That's the whole conversation. Maybe depending on how much I feel like uh, interrupting with Satan worshiping jokes, <clears throat> but it's a whole conversation. That's the whole can of worms. That's I assume a lot of, maybe for you more directly, but even for me, yeah. Whether I'm even conscious of it, a lot of what I'm <clears throat> intentionally or unintentionally exploring in every moment in every relationship professionally and personally with people as well. And yeah, making it um, intentional is almost like a different way of it's a different program. But I think you said, why as like, you can't undervalue the point about why, like, if you're not aware of the motivation for Jesus, I guess anything, uh, essentially there's this potential to get lost in a particular kind of pathology, which is, arguably pretty normal, and exactly what Mr. Young and company were referring to and we are referring to today. But it's it's so... There's a book in the back in the library area called The Elusive Obvious, or Elusive Obvious, I don't know if the, the is there. I think that's a great title for so much of this. It's elusive. It's elusively obvious because, Jesus, what do you even say? How do you put it into words? There's an ineffability, a mystical ineffability that's implied eventually with all of this because it's, we call it love, right? We call it spirituality. We call it love. I don't know what else you do call it. I don't know if the words even make sense eventually. It's not to say we can't use them and can't use the language to the best of our ability, but there's something that's almost beyond packaging here to me, um, and, and good. So you have to feel, you have to really nail down your, your why.
0: And I love that you brought that in because that's really at the core of shadow work, which is why, because the thing is, is you said that you have, like, if you're not aware of your motives, like, what are you doing? Right. Right. But so many, most people aren't actually aware of what's motivating them. And I think that that is the biggest question with shadow work is why? What's driving you? What is what is motivating you to choose that be, be, behavior, essentially? Or what is motivating you to act act a certain way or choose a certain partner or choose a certain life path or... You know, whatever it is, like, is it because it's really a process of like coming home to yourself and coming home to your authenticity, essentially? Because, you know, are you actually choosing that life path because it was a way to um, earn somebody else's acceptance of you? Or did you choose that life path because you know yourself so well? that you know what will fulfill you, there's a difference. And I think most people don't stop to question why.
1: Sure. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so I, I guess continuing to come back to the uh, the piece that I first chose to highlight here about... Um, equilibrium or homeostasis or balance like i guess in my experience you can't undervalue the the idea that that's not permanent and not a finish line in other words everything we've already saying is in other words like but if <clears throat> i think if you don't comprehend that in my experience and i'm i feel like i'm cleaning that up more than anything at this point in my life is that awareness because it it does seem so pervasive it is, i mean it is pervasive i know it is pervasive not just for me but seemingly in general and has been for centuries if not millennia but i have no idea what that what cleaning that up looks like it's completely blank to me if not just a little color, like it's that white wall behind you, that whiteboard, if you will. Like, I don't know what that looks like when that's cleaned up and not even, and I think even wanting to know what that looks like actually is part of the pathology. And <clears throat> I can see that, and I can see that that's, that seems like a pretty fundamental addictive tendency or addiction, if you will, to want to know the ending, to want to have a, clear destination. That's a big deal to be able to live without that. I'm not really even sure to what extent you can live without that. I just know that it's it's worth considering. Do you think you can live without that at all?
0: I think it's a practice. I think it's okay, like Okay, yeah,
1: so it's a moment to moment day right. to day <clears throat> relationship to relationship, breath to breath right. Situation to situation. And ah, it gets okay.
0: easier and easier and easier <clears throat> as you practice. And sometimes because th- this is the thing, like, first off you said, like, there can be an addiction to wanting that destination or wanting to know. So it may
1: not be the right word. Cause I've been told that word is used too loosely. And I did, t- somebody did actually help me understand how that word is used inaccurately. Um, Oh, I like would have to look at some. Yeah, but for, don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll just pretend that it's we'll put it in quotes, addictive. In right. Quotes, yeah.
0: So like even in that though, you yeah. can hear the why for your motive. Mm-hmm. Right? So like even if you're grasping at something, why, right? So even in that, you can you can you can meet a why where it is. And I think that <clears throat> First off, I want to comment that we're human and we're never going to be perfect ever. Yeah. You know, nothing is ever is ever perfect and the thing is is I think you can absolutely train yourself to become detached from a destination and be with the journey. But I think that it's a practice of moment-to-moment choice, conscious choice and in order to to do that, you have to know your patterns. You have to know what makes me attached to this destination. What does it look like when my body is triggered to grasp at that destination? How does that feel in my body? Where do I feel it? Is there a visual that I get? Does it come from a family pattern? Like, where does this come from? And when you, I always tell my clients, like, the more you know yourself, that's your best friend. Like that is like, that's your power right there. You know, self-knowledge and knowing thyself, like that's your that's your power. And I think that it's a practice of knowing yourself and it's a practice of choosing into something that doesn't reflect shadow and chooses what feels better to yourself. And I think that you can practice it and practice it and get to a point where um, it does become a lot easier to just be with the process. And you're going to get, you're going to be thrown situations where it's going to test you. And you have to learn a whole other set of skills. You know what I mean? You're never, to your point, you're never finished learning. And you can master it in one shape and form, but then maybe something else comes along that you have to practice it, you have to learn it again, or, you know, the, the journey restarts. You're always, you know, it's like kind of the student and the teacher, like you're always both, you know? And I think, I think being able to recognize that is how you open to that experience. Because I think if you're, if you just if you just attach yourself to that thing, like that destination, you're closing yourself off to being the student, essentially. You know what I mean? It's like once I reach that destination and I'm done, well, at that point you close yourself to life, you know, and you close yourself to yourself and learning more about yourself, you know?
1: So in an individual context it's actually pretty easy to put into words <laughs> in a sense, right? I mean, nothing that we're saying, I can, I'm thinking of thousands of years of, of information and wisdom that we both have, um, <clears throat> explored and, and, uh, studied and, and paid attention to. And on an individual basis, it makes complete sense. And I'm aware there's, there's the path of say the monk or the, um, Jokingly which, but I'm not sure that's the same metaphor. But or
0: the Satan worshippers. Satan
1: worshippers, right.
0: (laughs) I don't I don't worship Satan for everybody listening. (laughs) I only do sacrifices. (laughs) (laughs) Also kidding.
1: (laughs) Well, we could pretend you do like there's some way we could spin that anyhow. I, was, I wasn't picturing you actually killing
0: anything. I, I sacrifice uh, peanut butter coffee thank to you. my stomach. See, exactly.
1: There. <laughs> See, I was picturing candles. Yeah, But you went with... That's perfect. Thank you. You know, and that's actually kind of true in a way, in the sense of what is the ritual, what is any ritual. And it's part of like that practice. It's all just a practice, like you said. I'm not trying to take away from the joke, but I'm also trying not to backtrack to more <laughs> Ricky Gervais stuff, but hold hold on there, because we're on a we're on a cool path here, and it's filled with all kinds of, of fun colors and lights. I see that on a you know individual basis, I see this is actually relatively, relatively emphasis on that word, simple, not not easy. I didn't say easy. I, I know I always make that qualification simple, but not easy. And, but, okay, you you jumped at the word simple with that head gesture. And I think that has to do with the fact that we're obviously innate, innately in relationship. But if you go and be, so to speak, I could list a bunch of examples of people alive and dead, mostly dead. I don't know as many living today, but <clears throat> I'm sure I could come up with a few, who have done their own version of the, the monk thing or the saintly thing or the blah, blah, blah thing. And they're heroes in their own right, and cool, power to all of us for their wisdom, seriously. So I'm saying that that seems relatively simple, again, relatively, but why on, as the scale gets larger and larger, I'm not saying you have to have the answer to this, but it's the key question to me. Um, And I don't think by asking this question, I'm being hasty, although you're welcome to propose that I am because I trust and respect you. But I I ask why on the larger and larger scale, go as large a scale as you want as the whole species, why are we so consistently seemingly, in my opinion, struggling with that simple point or even literally failing and getting worse at it, I could say. (laughs) Um, at least not getting better, I, I think, hmm. and stagnant maybe, not not finding some equilibrium, seemingly scales tipping even more imbalanced to me by the looks of it. Ar- people could argue that, 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 that that's not true, but... That might not have been clear, was it?
0: I have thought about it, but okay. whether or not it directly <laughs> reflects to what reflects what you mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I do, but I do definitely have. It actually raises a question for me, actually, oh, yeah. which is, um, do you mean Western culture?
1: Well, the largest scale would be. Humanity, the whole species. Because I think okay. we are, a, it's a global culture. It's a global society. There are pockets of rel, uh, relatively autonomous pockets, I suppose, or um, less <clears throat> influenced or less affected by whether you call it Western or um, the current global system. I, I think you don't have to call it Western at this point, but I guess people do, do still try to make those distinctions with Western, Middle Eastern, Eastern, etc. I'm not sure how accurate they are, um, but in the largest scale of, say, just all of humanity, because we all have the same information, right? The resources are... Okay, let me rephrase that. We are, I'm aware of teachers from all over the world. So theoretically, so could somebody in um, some part of Russia, some part of Fiji, some part of um, Antarctica. <clears throat> the information technically, in general... There are examples where that's not the case, but in general, there's relatively. There's access to a lot of the same wisdom in general. Do you think that's not true?
0: I think that and I, you know, I I may. The thing is, is I want to be careful about how I answer this, because I don't know. Like. I've never been a part of another culture, so I don't. I don't necessarily am not necessarily speaking from experience, but it seems to me like there are certain cultures that maybe seem a little bit more distracted from those teachings or less likely to gravitate towards them because of cultural values. Um, and just Culture in general. Like, for instance, I think it's pretty obvious that our Western culture is very motivated by capitalism. Um, It's motivated by certain things that I think serve as giant distractions. So, do we have access to it? Yes. But I think that, but I don't know that our culture, like, our culture doesn't actually. I think they don't hand us like maybe resources. Like they, they even, I I would say that they even like encourage distraction Mm. of, of not looking at those, looking at those teachings. And so that's why I asked like the cultural piece.
1: So if I'm here, okay, this isn't what you said, but, um, Back to my comment about on an individual level, it's simple but not easy. Maybe I'm actually <clears throat> taking for granted the amount of work that it requires for individuals and oversimplifying it. It may be discrediting the force of distraction, the force of yeah, the force of the distraction, whether on purpose or not. The education, whether intentional or not, the systematic. Uh, ways of reinforcing the pathologies, whether intentional or not, the ways of reinforcing, <clears throat> quote unquote um, shadow, whether intentional or not. Maybe I'm doing a disservice to those or I'm I'm discrediting that force. is kind of what I'm hearing.
0: I think that sometimes I think you're absolutely right. It can be simple, but not easy. I like that you made that distinction um, because like, for instance, I have a client who like our main practice has been to get her to feel comfortable enough to sit in the silence. Mm -hmm. She has such a hard time sitting in the silence And sitting with the present moment, like there's always the TV on in the background. There's always like noise. And that's so, so our culture. You know what I mean? There's always noise, there's always distraction, like pulling our attention. You know, social media is constantly, constantly capitalizing off of our attention. Our attention is gold nowadays and it's being grabbed in so many different directions. That I think actually even being present with oneself is so hard in this culture, and I mean if you think about it now, like as technology just advances more and more and more, um, our you know our attention spans are getting shorter. Um, you know, kids are on are using their iPads and their phones at a very young age now, um, and so we're not really we're we're kind of um, We're not encouraging critical thinking anymore. We're just kind of stealing people's attention. And that's so precious. Like your attention is your energy. It's your focus. It's like, it's so precious, you know? And if you can't sit in silence with yourself, if you can't be present with yourself, how do you have an ounce of self-awareness? You know what I mean? Like how do you, if you can't sit with yourself... Then it's how do you know yourself? You know? And I don't know, I don't know how other cultures sit with that question. And if anybody in the audience comes from a different culture and has uh, insight right. on that, please let us know. But um, I can't I can't comment on that from experience, but I know from a Western perspective, It's very, very difficult to even just sit in the silence.
1: Attention economy. Yeah, it's a new phrase. I guess it's a relatively new phrase, right?
0: Sorry I'm laughing cuz I thought you were going to talk about ghosts for a second.
1: <laughs> no. Now I'm going to be super fucking serious the entire rest of the conversation.
0: Okay, if you crack a joke, I'm going to hold you accountable. Okay. No smiling. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, attention economy.
1: Simple but not easy is is very important. So let's keep rem- let's keep reiterating that because <clears throat> I've gotten into trouble with people who have misunderstood what I've meant in that regard, because it sounds like it discounts the challenges and I'm not, but I get it and their sensitivity isn't my responsibility, but I get people needing, you know, it's just empathy. Obviously there's, not much that's easy about it when i said simple it was it was more just like technically putting it into words isn't that hard what to do is hard how to do it is hard how to go about the moment to moment of a relationship, and I don't mean like one intimate relationship to another, any relationship, of course with yourself, with your kids, with your spouse, with your brother, with your sister, with your mother, with your father, with your uh, ancestors that you've never met, with the people in across the street or the apartment upstairs or in the next state or the other country or on the other side of the world or on hypothetically Mars. All of the relationships. There's nothing easy about them. That per se. But the mechanics, technically, I don't think are complex to put into words. So, does that matter? Yeah, I think that does matter because I don't think we should overcomplicate it. I think overcomplicating it actually is a problem and a disservice to all of this. So, there's an attention economy, and I'd like to hear your comment on that in a second, but there's an attention economy that we now refer to and <clears throat> you know I just realized as you were saying that that uh, somebody a contemporary of ours who I, I I feel confident I do wholeheartedly respect is Tristan Harris he's the first person I heard who used that term and you are familiar no did you hear of or see the social dilemma, dilemma? oh the- yeah, yeah actually- so he was the main figure in that yeah. right Yeah, yeah and his actually his podcast is the probably one of the only two or three that I give any attention to. And um, <laughs> it, yeah, I didn't expect to talk about that, but it's pretty damn relevant because he comes from, you know, you, you and I come from a different place and he comes from a completely different place of having worked in Silicon Valley for Google and seeing, holy shit, the same <clears throat> literal shadow is driving all of this. The same literal pathologies are driving this. And it's all going in the same basic <clears throat> um, train wreck, human suffering more, and probably not necessarily direction. And the solutions all come back to, we don't have a different word for it, but spirituality or love, as you said. And he, go, he went as far as one needs to go go seemingly with understanding the power of technology and technology is not bad, but you have to be aware technology is necessary. In fact, that's a different conversation maybe, but worth talking about. I would never demonize technology because I think that's relatively ignorant, but he went as far as one can in terms of innovating this particular sort of technology and seeing that it's reinforcing nightmarish tendencies. And the solutions are the same simple solutions that they seemingly have been for thousands of years come back to what you're saying basically with regard to awareness. Literally, that's what he says over and over and over. And their work is the Center for Humane Technology and self-awareness is the only solution they've come up with. Yeah, Um,
0: I don't doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the um, only one I've got.
1: (laughs) Right. Sounds simple. Exactly. But. So. I, I don't usually use the word love, but I guess that's kind of the point. You know, I think about Mr. Rogers a lot. Uh, in fact, they just had a guy, Tristan, and his partner, a- Ava Raskin. I think his name is Ava. Um, Jason Sudeikis, coin or uh, nicknamed their most recent guest, the Mister um, Rogers of the 21st century, and he's a he's a young fella, um, our generation, and he specifically is. Reaching out to people, this young guy who was just their guest, reaching out to um, people who troll (laughs) and starting conversations with them and discovering kind of, I think, what you were implying in one way, that everybody's just hurt and in pain. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes wholeheartedly agree yeah right. hurt people hurt people
1: yeah but that that's the pretty almost completely common denominator so it does it does seem like love is the only thing you really can offer
0: yeah because the thing is is you're hurt because you don't have that love. Or you're not, you're living in lack of that love, you know? So for instance, let's say you have somebody who's like trolling on someone else's content and they say something really nasty as people do. And I also want to comment that social media tends to be a place where people feel more confident for their shadow to just come out. They wouldn't necessarily say those things to someone's face, but social media can be really dangerous because people use it. All of a sudden, like content creators are just not human anymore and people will talk to them as if they're not human anymore, right? I've had this happen with my YouTube channel. Uh, when I've had a, a YouTube video go viral and all of a sudden people decide that they can just unleash all of their shadow onto my content because they can't do it in person. And so it's it's a actually a very cowardice pit place. Very cowardice place. Because you don't you're not actually you're not meeting your your shadow face to face. You're what you're doing is you're going online and you're basically like, okay Just so this person's a a content creator. They're not human in my eyes. I'm just going to pour, project all of my stuff onto them so I can feel better. And it doesn't matter how they feel. Mm -hmm. And it's a, and I don't have any consequence for it. And it's a total cowardice way of, of meeting your shadow. It's running from your shadow. It's not facing it. And in fact, it's actually giving it to someone else, which is even more irresponsible, I think. So that's kind of a side tangent. (laughs) But it's something I've thought about. Um, So, yeah. um, What was the initial comment there? Because I I definitely went off on a tangent a little bit. No,
1: I didn't. And it's... Well, there's a lot that... You didn't go off on a, anything irrelevant, but it was the love part, essentially, and why Yeah, we basically do land on self-awareness and love. But, you know, I I, I could add if you, unless you wanted to.
0: Can I finish up yeah. with one thing? Because that actually reminds me of what I was actually wanted to say. So, um, so when somebody goes and comments on someone's content and it's coming from a place of hurt, it's because maybe deep down they don't feel good enough or maybe deep down, for instance, I got, you know, I've, I've worked as an astrologer for a long time and I had some hate coming my way for astrology. And, you know, there's tons of reason behind that. Some people are afraid of the unknown. Some people are afraid of things that they can't measure or quantify, Something, sometimes people have really deep shadow embedded by organized religion, um, which is a whole other thing, like guilt complexes that they just put on other people. Um, And it comes from a place of not having that love. So if you, for instance, did, you know, suffer from guilt because of these, like that's pretty big in Catholicism. If you did kind of suffer from that guilt, as a child, um, it comes from a place of, you know, a lack of love, essentially. Uh, Shame. It comes from a place of like feeling shameful about yourself and not feeling accepted, not feeling like it's safe to be authentically you. And then later on, you just project that onto somebody else through judgment and you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. (laughs) And it goes back to that unconscious time where that shadow was created. Can't tell you how many clients I've had with the wounds from religion, Uh, but it goes back to that, you know, and it's, in my opinion, it is, it's irresponsible to not look at your shadow personally. Like, I think that doing shadow work is an individual responsibility because I think that violence doesn't have to come in physical form it comes in emotional form as well and you are violent emotionally when you don't take care of your shadow
1: that was a yes that was very well said and very helpful because of the funny place that i thought of maybe going prior to reminding you that it was about that we were talking about self-awareness and love sort of unintentionally um you just use the word violence and that sort of actually fits in with where I thought about going on un- into, yeah, unexpectedly. Um, it's a little awkward to, to go to this place, but I think it's important and I wasn't sure how or why to even bring it up, but now it makes total sense. Um, <clears throat> but first off, do you, I don't want to change the subject. Did you, was that complete? Because it made, okay, it seemed like it. Yeah.
0: I feel complete. Okay.
1: <laughs> the ghosts were talking to me and reminding me to slow down. That's good self awareness. Yes. Feels like an NPR conversation now where we're talking about sweaty balls. Do you know that reference? Yeah. There you go. Ah, I fucked it up. I made a joke. Damn it. No dumb, laughing. Dumb laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to get tactfully personal for myself, not you, and some of what I've talked to you in the last couple of weeks about, <clears throat> because love to me, <clears throat> excuse me, is, I feel it. I, I'm moved by the word when I know that somebody's using it on very intentionally as you are, and I know that it's... It's the answer for sure, and <clears throat> it's tricky. I've come from having to navigate where do you fit um, the boundaries part into love, the taking care of yourself part into love, the blah, the the need to say no to things into love. How does all of that fit with love? Let's talk about you know whatever sort of background you may have of course selflessness is also something that's encouraged from certain doesn't have to be just religions it's sometimes just a particular sort of excess or absolute that's martyrdom yeah those kinds of excesses or absolutes that are encouraged whether what for whatever reason or through whatever avenue um they're infectious and i can speak to having had to clean those up but seeing still there's a through line if there's something of value in being selfless of course there's something of value in martyrdom and being fred rogers-esque or whoever your version of a saint is and whether modern or or old um, but the particular part about understanding how violence fits in to me seems like a really really big deal because I don't think we have a culturally wise sense of it. In other words, it's part of life, so it matters. And I think that's a rule. If it exists, it has a place. I think that's an important rule to establish. I haven't come up with an example to the contrary. I don't know what to do about ticks, but forget ticks for a second. But if, <laughs> on a general scale, if it, If it's a capacity, if it's a human capacity, then it has a place. So what we call violence has a place. Okay. What's the place, though? And how does that, does that conflict with love? Does that fit with love? This is terror. This is awkward territory. This is somewhat uh, scary territory. You can come across really, this can, this is a tough thing to talk about. Tough thing to even wrap, to try to think about. And... Do, I don't know for sure what, I don't know the answers for sure, but I can see that there's <clears throat> some way that we need to learn to, how do I put this? I pers- All right, so I'll just go with the personal part. I have had to figure out how to accept that I don't—I wouldn't want to do anything about certain people, but I wouldn't mind—I'm aware that I can see—I've I've just actually talked about this with my dad, in fact, which was very liberating—I um, can see that it wouldn't bother me if certain people, quote-unquote, didn't exist, or at least just weren't in my radar, weren't in my life, weren't around— there's something kind of violent about that. It's not it's not conventional violence, but I'm aware like wow, that's a I'm basically saying that to me their existence is like a violation of my world. That's fucked up. And that or at least that that seems not. I mean, I don't want to end there. <laughs> that's not a good place to stop. So what do I do with that? Um Well, I don't know yet, but I can see that accepting that there's, there are, there is a need to be protective, if you will, has been a, I still don't know if that's even the right word. But seeing that there's actually something about being I want to say guarded or having the boundaries or protective, I'm not sure. These don't seem like the accurate phrases, but there's something about that that's not counter to love. It's actually okay. But you Wait, can't act Can on I that.
0: ask you a question? Yeah. Do you see do you see boundaries as an act of love or not?
1: Well, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I just wasn't sure if thank you. I think I've realized that, of course, they can be, but it's been really, really hard to trust that and to know that by establishing them, they are. And I think that is an essential internal conflict for a lot of people, maybe most, seeing that... And that's why it is normally just so violent-looking, because, like, well, that ah, just comes out as very... You know, reactive and not thought through and not breathed through and not processed and not considered. Um, regardless of social media, I don't actually think we can blame social media. It just amplifies the tendency to just snap, if you will. There's, of course, I think it, what it ultimately just shows is that our concept of love is so. For some people, it, it's it's embarrassing is basically the best way to put it. Forget the cutesy hearts and the colors. And it's like, yes, yes to all of that. But it's also yes to that.
0: Well, our culture <laughs> also has a obsession with fantasy, thinking that that's love. Right.
1: And it's yeah. not.
0: There's a lot of things that our culture likes to paint as love. And it's absolutely not. It's actually shadow.
1: Yes. So just, like if. A better way to simplify it. Right.
0: So if you entertain, <clears throat> for instance, if you, if you're a fantasy addict, like for instance, like if you start dating somebody and you're stuck in the idea of them hmm. or you're stuck in fantasy around what's happening, you're not even present for the experience. That's not love. Love is present love isn't afraid to be here hmm. in the present moment love is extremely present in the it's it's grounded here it trusts that it can handle what is it holds what is it doesn't need to escape what is because it's afraid that's fantasy so there's so many things that our culture has taught us about what love actually is, and it's not. It's actually totally shadow. And if you you look at our, our the music we listen to, if you look at the movies that we watch, they're totally toxic in terms of relationship. They're completely toxic. And we're training our kids to believe this. And it ruins relationships, you know, we, we feed, our culture feeds us these lies about what culture, what love is. And then we wonder why we're in toxic relationships. I mean, you know, we, we feed like the controller shadow. We feed like, you know, that fantasy, we feed so many, um, so many lies to, to people about what love is, um, being overprotective of somebody is not love. (laughs) That's not love (laughs) at all. Like overly, when it's like overly protective, that's not love. And so like, I think I I definitely wanted to comment on that. And then coming back to the piece around like violence, I think, (sighs) Yeah, I mean, in my heart. Like when you said violence, my heart just felt so sad cause immediately I thought of the shooting. Actually, sure. Um,
1: but to be fair, you said the word first. Not that it's a bad word. I just violence. I, I wasn't oh, playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think that this is an important conversation, and it's it really is important <clears throat> when we. When we're talking about shadow work, because I truly believe that if you don't do shadow work, then you can be violent and it doesn't have to look, it doesn't have to, violence doesn't have to look, um, to me, violence doesn't have to look aggressive. To me, violence can be gaslighting.
1: Well, okay. So before we talk about, um, Rob Elementary for, as just one Relevant example, which I think that's what you were just... Yes, yes so. yeah. Because, of course, we didn't plan to talk about any of this, per se. The, you know, I, I'm sensitive in many ways to using the word violence, least of all because I don't want to come across as scary to anybody. And I don't think I do, but... <clears throat> um I'm sensitive to that in my own way. But the the use of the word violence, I just, um, which I forget the context why you said it, but it was, I heard it and it seemed, okay, yeah, that's, let's go with that. The, the root, of course, is to violate. So there's a violation. What is being violated? Of course, that doesn't have to literally look like something more perhaps obvious and What is gaslighting, if not a violation of um, someone's... So why is it gaslighting violence? Because there's a violation of someone else's experience, someone else's point of view, someone else's feelings, at the very least, and that's normal, right? That's kind of, in a way, the, the norm is to violate something about someone or yourself so if you're violating something about yourself or another person around you and we can call that violence why does that matter because it plays out most likely as the more obvious excessive um lethal fatal egregious versions of violence but there you're i think you're pointing out that these are roots. There are roots to all of these things that you could, we're getting closer when we talk about mental health, we're getting closer when we talk about self-awareness and shadow and distractions and, but we're not. Yeah. Go on.
0: So something that, yeah. So as you were talking, like something that I, I thought about was how when we, it's often believed that when we experience some sort of like emotional imbalance, or if we experience, um, you know, something on an emotional level, it can manifest physically. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing as like, we look at physical violence, but it started emotionally right? with emotional violence. Right. So, um, and I, I love, you know, what you said around like, it's a violation of someone, you know? Yeah. Um, before this, I didn't... It's I di-
1: Probably starting with violations that are going completely unnoticed. And I think in a way, the point that I wasn't sure how to just say there, and I'm going to shut up after saying this, is that arguably that's the foundation of the whole program that we made a distinction from in the beginning, which is what I said, simple. The simple but not easy is actually, in a sense about not violating and i don't know of an affirmative way of saying that other than to what the clichés we use but self-awareness is in essence i don't want to use the clichés but there's something about it that is contrary to a <clears throat> the conventional sense of violating you no know, so if foundationally there's a relationship with self or others of the world at large that, su- that presupposes some sort of <clears throat> um, to me it's not obvious but disconnection if you will um, or, or foundational separation there's a f- there's a core violation taking place just there that makes sense? Yeah. Right. So if that makes sense, then come back to kind of what I was playing with in the beginning about on a larger scale, why haven't we perhaps... I'm not suggesting this is some sort of solution, but it's hard to ignore its relevance. If our normal story and, and sense of self, other, world, et cetera, however you want to categorize things, is rooted in that kind of violation it doesn't surprise me that this is the tendency so what is an alternative the alternative looks like something of more more consistently perceiving inherently connection and other words that I could rattle off pretty consistently but I want to hear more from you because I interrupted you
0: (laughs) no actually I'm really glad that you that you did and you said what you said because, um, connection is so important when it comes to shadow work. And it's, it's at the root, I think of a lot of shadow is that severing of connection. A lot of what I do in shadow work is like inner child work with people. Um, and you know, shadow work can look like a lot of different things. Um, but essentially, it's the way that I practice it is very much so um, parts work. And parts work is essentially working with the different parts of yourself that are the fragmented parts of the personality, the sides of us, you know, like we have this like, we look at everybody, like in, in mental health, there's this, uh, you know, the, the personality, multiple personality disorder. Everybody's got multiple personalities, you know, everybody. Um, it, you know, obviously differs to like what level those personalities impede upon your ability to interact with life in a healthy way, you know? Um, but everybody has different sides. Everybody has different parts. And the idea of it, I've heard it explained this way. The idea of it is that we're born whole, um, and then what happens is over time we experience, and there's no way around this, this is just the human experience, but we experience a fragmentation of, the, of us being whole. And this is actually coming back to Carl Jung's work as well. Um, but essentially um, doing shadow work is allowing yourself to come back to a whole person because you're working with the fragmented parts of you that um, haven't been heard or seen or listened to, and that does cause va- violence. So if you think about people who have caused violence, um, who, you know, we say they are c- crying out for attention or, you know, they're it's they're not seen, you know, at the root of a lot of anger and not always, but at the root of a lot of anger is not feeling seen and not feeling heard. And so shadow work gives ourselves... Um, The opportunity to see those parts of ourselves that we shove down because we're so afraid of them and they're not okay and we just disapprove of them. They're not allowed to come out. They're not, they don't deserve love. Um, Those are the parts of us that are so hungry. And when we deprive those parts of love, that's when they get violent because they're not being seen and they're not being heard and they're not being loved. And so parts work or shadow shadow work or inner child healing allows us to kind of go back to those fragmentations and meet them face to face and actually hold them with love and to actually um, you know, and sometimes that's really hard. Like that's where the challenging part gets. I mean, some people like the resistance is just insane, you know to actually meeting that side of themselves because they're, there's so much resistance to accepting that part of themselves and loving that part of themselves because they're so convinced on a body level that they're not worthy of it, that it takes literally like weeks and weeks and weeks just across that barrier for them to be able to meet that version of themselves and actually be able to, to um, approach that, that part with a willingness to understand. So instead of saying like pushing them to the side and not listening to them and you know all of those things, it starts with saying it starts with saying to that part of you, I see you. So Carl Jung the first thing that he brings to light is you can't do shadow in order to do shadow work, you have to acknowledge that the shadow is real. That's the first step, right? So you have to see that part of yourself as real and here and it exists and that's okay. So that's the first part. And then the second part is having the willingness to listen and understand. So, you know, we we can't necessarily jump into forgiveness. Sometimes I teach my clients if that feels too difficult, you say, "I'm learning to forgive you." I can't forgive you yet, but I'm learning to forgive you, or whatever phrase feels feels true to them to just take a baby step forward. And then, so it, it starts with actually meeting that version of you and saying, like, I want to understand, like, why, what are you feeling? How are you feeling it? Where did it Where did it come from? Where are you feeling it in the body? Um, how is it manifesting in my behavior? How is it manifesting in my thoughts? Like, how does this, this side of me play a role in my life on a daily basis, whether I choose to look at it or not? And then how do I actually listen and understand versus put that, push that side of me away? And that's why I'm circling back to the fact that I love that you brought in connection because the essence of shadow work is connection to self. And so with Carl Jung's work, there's like four major archetypes. There's um, the self, the persona, the shadow, and the anima slash animus. Um, and so the really, like what I find to be the essence of Carl Jung's work, and I'm not like a Carl Jung expert, (laughs) you know what I mean? But the essence of Carl Jung's work is really seems to be the reclamation of the authentic self and the reclamation of self and self is one of his four main archetypes. So it's allowing yourself to meet that shadow so that you can actually embody the self instead of the fragmented self which isn't whole and that's what we talk about you know it drives me crazy when people give like romantic advice around um you you should be in a relationship when you feel whole it's like well how do you, how are you going to how do you, you want to tell them how to get whole <laughs> cuz that's a process that's that's a thing and most of us are not whole <laughs> And to your, to our point earlier as well, um, it's a practice. Being whole isn't a destination. It's a practice. It's a journey. And you're not whole all the time, you know, even when you've practiced being whole, you're not perfect. Like you're, you're going to show up as a fragmented person because that is the nature of the human experience, So I love that you brought in connection because it really is learning how to be in deep connection with self. And oftentimes we can't have fulfilling relationships because we don't have the level of depth of connection with ourselves that we would even need to have in a relationship with another person.
1: Nobody can see you do that. So that's not as funny to them.
0: I saluted. <laughs>
1: well, I didn't want to rush to say it. there was a, <laughs> a lot in that. I, I didn't. <clears throat> I'm surprised that word didn't come up already. Um, see if I can get this out in a succinct way. Do you think it's fair to say that. The primary confusion is simply, I'm using that word on purpose, simply perceiving ourselves and thinking of ourselves and passing on the idea of each of us being fragmented, as opposed to fundamentally whole and interconnected, and interdependent, and whatever other synonymous, helpful verbiage we could come up with. I could say that, again, as one clear sentence, if you'd like, but was that one clear sentence?
0: Yeah, I, I <clears> see <throat> what you're saying. Yeah.
1: So if there's a story that we're fundamentally fragmented, I like that word, synonymous with disconnected, separate, on every level, in every sense, at least in the context of being alive, which is the only context that actually fucking matters, in my opinion. <clears throat> or at least it's the primary context, I would say. That doesn't discount awareness of ancestors and awareness of um, the future. But in the you know, forget that. All right, let me rephrase it to keep it simple. No tangents. Can we declare that the fundamental confusion is the result is is simply telling ourselves that we're fragmented and living that way.
0: I think that the confusion comes from not even knowing that we're fragmented.
1: Sure, but if you then are aware that that's how you're perceiving yourself, that that's how you Primarily, <clears throat> are relating to everything, including yourself, and you make the effort to, at the very least, pay attention to that, if not change that. But hopefully, I mean, I'm not sure to what extent we can change it, to be frank, but at the very least to be aware of it. If you make the effort and you can see it, <clears throat> That's a whole different operating system, seemingly. Yeah. And maybe not just theoretically, but...
0: And you can change it.
1: Well, I fi- I figured you made that when you made that face. <laughs> okay, so if that's true, I'm not saying it isn't. Does that mean that you never again think of yourself in that same confusing light of disconnected, fragmented, separated, um, not whole?
0: No, because again, like whole is a practice.
1: Right. So back to this equilibrium point, you're... Okay. So <clears throat> you said this like phrase, um, The yeah, it's just it's part of the human experience. Do you believe you personally that it's... A necessary component of being human to wonder if you're separate and fragmented? Yes. Why is that necessary?
0: I think when you, I think the root of suffering is fragmentation
1: doesn't answer the question, though. Well I said, why is it necessary to... I, I asked, do you think it's necessary to perceive ourselves as...
0: As fragmented? Yeah. Yes. Why? I think because you have to acknowledge your fragmentations, because if you don't, again, that's when you become emotionally violent or when your shadow takes over. When you don't acknowledge that you're in the ways that you're fragmented.
1: No, no, no. All right, right, let me, sorry. The context I'm referring to is a hypothetical one where you're born into a family or a culture that has a very different narrative than the one that we're seemingly presupposing to be the norm, which I think it is. So hypothetically, if there's a different narrative, is it inevitable that a human will eventually perceive itself, herself, himself, what have you, as fragmented? However true or not true that is, is it inevitable that that Mm. idea takes place?
0: Well, I don't, I don't know. I think that that requires like a certain level of consciousness though, right?
1: Yeah. But in that, in that hypothetical situation, there's a different educational model. There's a different way of teaching your um, children. There's a different way of communicating. There's a different way of, well, (laughs) I think we have models for this is why I'm saying it. I, I think we have created models for this. I'm curious to what extent is it a fantasy or is it actually possible? And I'm not sure if I'm making sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Is the fantasy returning to a state of wholeness?
1: No, I wouldn't say returning. So, all right, here's what I believe. I guess I'll just try to make it, because I think it's, a, it's an important question. It drives me a lot. It seems like for a very, very long time, thousands of years, there has been a <clears throat> predominant narrative. you use the phrase Western culture or Western world, um, to whatever extent it's relevant to the Western world or um, the, the most successful <laughs> and forceful cultures uh, throughout history— um, I'm not sure, but it, it seems like there's a predominant narrative of perceiving that we are, uh, from birth, separate from something. We're born not whole. I mean, this is Adam and Eve shit. Obviously, this is like root, core human stories, human nature, our presupposition, our literal foundational stories about being human. We are born into this human condition of being separate from someone or something. Of course, eventually we just call it God or whatever. So hypothetically, we don't have that story. Hypothetically we're born and we're just living. We're not living as separate. We're living as parts of life, experiencing life. Within that second context, which seems largely hypothetical, yet very imaginable, is it necessary for the respective human child as it's developing to eventually be confused about itself such that it thinks, I'm not, this is wrong, something's wrong, I'm not meant to be here, this isn't home, I'm separate, I'm not whole, however we want to word it. Those are all the same phrases to me. I don't think it's necessary, at least not to the extent that we assume it to be biological or human nature or whatever we call it. I don't think it's necessary. Hmm. I see no proof that it's necessary. I see a lot of assumptions that reinforce the idea that that's the human condition, but I don't see it as necessary,
0: Hmm.
1: theoretically, Why? Because it's obviously just a story. That we're separate? Yes. (laughs) Because it's obviously based on a story.
0: Hmm. What do you mean by that?
1: What do you mean by separate? What does anybody mean by separate? That my consciousness is... Uniquely distinct from anyone or anything. Okay. Peer, leave it at that then. That doesn't mean separation. We project the separation upon that. Nothing about that means separation.
0: I think that that's different <clears throat> than fragmentation.
1: I think it's very similar though, and I think it I think it speaks to the same basic pretendner pth- story. I think it comes from the same story. Hmm. Whether you however, whatever catalyst for thinking that, I think it's the same basic narrative. Hmm. But either way, it's a story.
0: I think it's a way of putting our experience to language, actually. I don't know that it's a story. I th- at least I'm speaking to fragmentation.
1: Well, what is a story if not putting our experience to language then? And to the extent that some stories (laughs) aren't as relevant today based on uh, whatever hopeful progress or learning that's taken place.
0: I think that it really depends on context. Like, I think that it is necessary to look at the fragmented self
1: but maybe but, that,
0: but the fragmented self is for instance like you came in as a child i'm not talking from a spiritual sense i'm Neither talking am I. i'm talking like you come in as like a child who is fully able to embody their authentic their authenticity right. they cry when they're upset they are who they are they don't have a problem being themselves right I'm talking about the fragmentation of them not feeling okay to be themselves as they get older, which causes issues.
1: Why? Yes. Yeah, so, why should that have to happen? Why is that inevitable? It sounds like you're saying that's.
0: It is inevitable because <laughs> <laughs> it is inevitable because.
1: I'm not clear why.
0: Yeah. Because. Um, We're going to interact with people or situations that tell us that it's not safe to be authentic.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Then I think we're still dealing with the same... We're not... Okay. When I say inevitable, I mean why in a hypothetical, fictional scenario would that have to happen? Not why does that normally happen in our culture, but in a fictional, hypothetical scenario, why would that have to happen? You have not... I don't know if that question was clear and maybe I'm still. Not it's,
0: it sounds like maybe, uh, yeah, like a more like existential, spiritual, what is the underlying meaning uh, <laughs> of
1: what? No, I don't okay. call it those things because I don't usually like those words. I'm speaking to the possibility that that um, confusion, can we call it confusion? Mm-hmm. That that confusion doesn't have to happen. That's all. I'm just speaking mm-hmm. to the possibility, the question of why should that have to happen? And what I keep hearing you answer is, well, it's happening because that's because we're inevitably dealing with that experience with other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because of the current norm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So hypothetically. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah,
0: hypothetically. That's all I've been saying. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I realize it might seem asinine, but I'm not sure it is. If we're talking about a, if we're interested in some sort of growth without a destination, of course, then what are we talking about if not hypotheticals?
0: Yeah. I mean, I still think hypothetically it has to happen.
1: (laughs) Well, that's what I'm asking though. Why? That's the question then.
0: That's why I was asking if you're getting to a more spiritual, because the reason my answer to that, and I don't have, like, set in stone, I don't no, have answers, I don't answers, think it has to be right? spiritual, it's just biological,
1: but, or natural, or physiological, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but I don't think it has to be called spiritual, it's just, a, is it. I mean, spiritual to me doesn't seem like the exact best word, because I'm we're literally just talking about one's self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Like, Why should there be that interruption to what you just called authenticity? Why should there be that interruption to one's expression of oneself with that capacity, that, that relative purity, if you will?
0: I think that like the more there is interruption, the more we actually can become self-aware, which is like my answer is spiritual, <laughs> you know? Um, in the sense of it does actually help us evolve and grow. If you you want to connect that to spirituality, which I do, but we actually, I think that in meeting situations where that does have to, where that happens, I think that does kind of have to happen to build self-awareness.
1: Then that's the answer. Then you've answered my that's question. That's my answer. Yeah, no, I don't I don't, well, I don't no, know if that's, that's it's, well, I'm an you. <laughs> it's an I've answer. It's an answer. But sure, Right, but I've been asking you. <laughs> and that's the that's the answer based on what I was asking then, yeah. Do you want to know what I Yes. Think in that regard? I I think neither one of us can possibly know this because it's a as I've been saying, a hypothetical, but I'm specifically suspicious of the, seeming to me, this presupposition that it's baked into the cake of being human, that this particular interruption has to happen. Because if that's true, then every other, then so much is suspect is suspect to me in other words it i'm not really clear what the possibilities we're even talking about are it negates so many particular possibilities to me if that's true in other words if it is just inevitable that human nature means this then I'm not sure things can get better. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I could see that. (laughs) But at the same time, I think that we evolve as a culture. And I think like, you know, for instance, like if we look at the medieval times, like we're not We're not doing what the medieval humans are doing, you know? I mean, maybe in some parts of the world, there's, like, torture and things like that, right? But, like, nowadays, like, that's generally not accepted, I see
1: a lot of the same beliefs, though. I think on the surface.
0: But the behaviors are different. Like, what's acceptable is different. Right? Even even how we treat of women. Of course.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? I'm not negating that some things have improved. Obvi- no, I wouldn't suggest so that. So I think I think
0: things can get better.
1: That's a large scale though.
0: It is. <laughs> it is. But it, but I think that but why is
1: it so fucking slow? In my opinion, it's unnecessarily slow. It's not a snail pace. It's almost barely a pace.
0: Shadow. We don't look a shadow. Okay.
1: But I'm, I'm wondering if that, that idea is shadow. And I'm mm. not, Carl Jung couldn't prove otherwise. I've, I'm confident enough that that's not, that's pure theory. That's, that's why we have to call it hypothetical. Right. It's pure theory. That's why people call it philosophy or spirituality or ideology, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, sure. great. Then you don't know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a big deal. And if we're, um, I'm personally not particularly satisfied with the pace of progress. (laughs) Write a
0: letter to the president. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, no. That was meant to be a joke. It was, but. Dear Mr. President, we need to do our shadow work ASAP. Love, Colin.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I actually, there is a lot that's you know. If you look at certain contexts in a certain time frame, things have dramatically improved. There's no question. I'm not suggesting that, but I do consistently see particular. I'll call them shadows, although I'm not sure we're using that term in the same exact with the same exact meaning. But I do see a particular idea that's pervasive, and it seems like it's been pervasive for many, many centuries. And I'm not confident that it gets enough attention and I'm not confident that it's insignificant. Or I'm yeah, I'm not confident that it's insignificant. <clears throat> um because you know, right in that word connection implies. So if that's if there's truth to that word connection, why should we have to go through a particular experience of Disconnection or fragmentation. I haven't gotten... I don't have... I've hypothetically? Never, yeah, hypothetically. But I don't see a good enough answer for that across the board. And Maybe. the answer that growth is only comes out of that is, like, yeah, okay, great, but that still doesn't mean it's necessary in the same exact way. That just means that we need... To be creative, and we need to engage in a certain form of expression moment Mm -hmm. to moment. And, but does that have to be built, baked out of some kind of um, natural conflict and, and, confusion or can that be clear can there be clarity that encourages that growth
0: do you think that and you can even answer this from being doing what you do professionally but do you think that suffering is a catalyst for growth or even necessary
1: i think that's exactly the question we're asking ourselves that's, yeah you know i hear i've
0: that's what I'm hearing it in your exact, question. Yeah, I think
1: you're right. And I, I'm i not sure. I'm willing to say I'm not convinced it's necessary. I'm not yeah. convinced it's necessary. At least not to the extent that I think we assume it's necessary. The common understanding of Buddhism to me is insulting. Like the context for the human experience was very similar thousands of years ago when those ideas supposedly became worth expressing and writing and and passing on to people it's like okay great so the framework for that so called wisdom was really very similar to the framework today <laughs> surfacey difference very similar framework so how the fuck can we be convinced that life is suffering or that it's necessary in the ways that we're I mean, it's so insulting to our intelligence to me to assume that to just—it's lazy to me, even. Like you talk about critical thinking. I'm not saying I know that suffering is unnecessary, but I am not willing to say I know it's that necessary. <laughs> hmm.
0: Can I ask even what the attachment is to so necessary? Go,
1: because i don't see us evolving really cuz i actually do care about movement forward and the evolution so to speak
0: so you're saying that you don't actually see an evolution coming out of suffering and that is leading to the questioning of necessary
1: i don't see this evolution that people supposedly <laughs> referring to no not really no
0: not okay. enough yeah I don't think think we're mostly very confused
1: as a species.
0: I would agree with that.
1: Okay. I don't, that's not insignificant.
0: (laughs) I think we are very confused as a species. Right. And
1: I'm trying to understand why. And I don't, I think this is a big part of it.
0: I don't think.
1: If not the biggest part of it, honestly.
0: I don't think it's the suffering itself, maybe, that causes. it. And again, like, I'm not talking indefinites. I'm talking in this is my own experience, you know? I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm not saying this is truth. I'm saying this is how I've experienced things. But I, I don't know that it's like the actual suffering that causes evolution. But maybe even just returning to... A state of wholeness for me in my practice has been painful.
1: Yeah,
0: and it's not—that's not why I evolve, but it's a byproduct of evolving, for sure. Like it—it it definitely hurts for sure to return back to wholeness for me in my experience. Experience, well, like you
1: said, there's resistance, and exactly and what, which is well, suffering. <laughs> yeah the context of again, the individual is of I see many individuals evolve. Many individuals grow. I When I make that bold and declare that uh, that point of view and that opinion about evolution, I'm referring to a, the largest scale of the whole species and not individuals. There are many individuals throughout the millennia that we normally refer to when we think about civilization that have seemingly evolved or become self-aware, if you will, or understood something that's worth sharing. And I'm just, just specifically pointing to the question, or I'm specifically asking why on a larger enough, on to me, what is a large enough scale, Um, isn't that more impactful? In my, you know, more impactful to me. It doesn't seem like it's as impactful as it could be. I ask why.
0: I think that sounds like a personal journey.
1: Oh, well, sure. <laughs> I that can't. Has, that has been, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I don't either. I'm not suggesting either of us. But we at least got to an unexpected question of to your to very specifically highlight suffering like, to what extent is it actually necessary and why? And, and yeah.
0: yeah, it kind of reminds me of like Nazi Germany, like on a collective level.
1: Oh, God, why'd you go there? What's that?
0: <laughs> because, because it is like a good example of shadow and suffering and evolution. Yeah. So collectively, like.
1: Well, especially because he was motivated to, specifically Hitler, to establish essentially a perfect world, which was free of suffering, or at least his concept of suffering and didn't have all the. I think there was a. There was a very good exhibit um, called uh, Glitter and Gloom or something or Glitter and Doom, which um, the excesses, so to speak, of the late 19th century and early 20th century that informed some part, you know, a lot of those areas and or excuse me, a lot of, I guess, that part of European culture and specifically German culture, um, arguably fed the ideology that was the Third Reich and Nazism. I'm I'm not clear why you brought it up, but it, you, know, you can't ignore it as a cataclysmic and climactic... Um, now I'm going to say something really provocative. I can specifically trace... I don't know if we have time to do this today. The idea of a lord and savior to that particular exp- um, climactic ideology and and way of behaving in the 1930s and 40s you can trace the one to the other it's fucked up and and I don't think enough people are willing to see the relationship but it's a relationship as is the atomic bomb
0: but i could even see like there. So, but you could see how again it comes down to connection. The connection yeah. to Lord and Savior is rooted in shadow, mm-hmm. and it manifests physically in in shadow.
1: Right. So, in terms of your feelings and whether you're yeah in
0: pain. yeah yeah. So the relationship to Savior when that when there is a lot of shadow in your relationship and your connection to savior, it's going to manifest in the outer world, right? In the physical world. That's kind of the way of things, I think, in our reality is kind of what you experience internally makes its way outside into your relationships, into your job, into your reality, you know, whatever it is. Um.
1: But when we're talking about self-awareness and love we're also in many ways describing a capacity to just be right isn't that why being is so prioritized when it really comes down to it you know this aware the capacity to quote unquote just be as opposed to always striving and so to speak doing but we know just so to speak in an absolute sense being means well eventually that's not realistic it comes down to again why then do you go from being to doing something and of course this implies you're a relatively matured human being with some sense of uh, some inner world if you will as opposed to um, not being thoughtless and not having any awareness of yourself so if were, to some extent, privileging these capacities. Or not privileging, but um, praising these, these capacities. To me, it seems inevitable to wonder if they're not better understood by more people on a larger scale at an earlier age who are we to say what's possible or not possible? That's my fundamental point.
0: Yeah, I agree with you.
1: Just don't become fucking Hitler.
0: <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> well,
1: you know, jokingly, but any absolute terrifies should terrify anybody. And I, I don't mean this to sound provocative. And if people are even still listening power to them and I know some people are. <clears throat> I, I think it's it's not just provocative to suggest that a concept of a Lord and Savior gives birth to tyrants and fascist and totalitarian regimes and totalitarianism in general. it's it's not provocative to point that out it's important to understand it does relate to the same, this sense of disconnection at its core, the same discontent and disconnection motivates both. As hard as that may be to swallow, as as uncomfortable as that may be to rationalize. To me, that is rooted in the same story.
0: (laughs) I can see that. I think that I absolutely agree with, just having a concept of a Lord and Savior immediately puts you in the position of separate. Exactly. So I, I completely agree with you there. Um, I don't think that that is the cause of like tyranny. I think that it's your relationship to what that means and what you make it mean about yourself, about other people, about the world. I think that's what matters.
1: Agreed that's why I'm pointing out the possibility period over and over and over. Cause I don't think we, I think we do ourselves a, an increasing or a consistent disservice by projecting a certain meaning without even knowing it. And that's, I guess that's all I was curious about with respect to the suffering thing is the, the meaning part. Cause I don't think it's clear enough. And it, does to me seem to be driving less obvious, perhaps uh, shadow, but I, I, it's hard to dismiss it to me. The the meaning, the projection of meaning, yeah, I think that's a great point.
0: Yeah, um, and that's the thing; we're not most people aren't conscious of the meaning that they're giving it, so that's when it yeah. becomes an issue, right? When you have these really. Uh, let's say, for instance, you recognize a Lord and Savior and you're in that state of separation inevitably, right? And you're making that mean that... um, (laughs) And you're making that mean that um, in order to get closer to my Lord and Savior, I need to whip myself or I need to do something really horrible to someone else.
1: Or even less provocative, just that I'm blank. What's a good blank? Yeah, I mean, I'm...
0: Yeah, it's the story. Not I'm doing... I'm okay. saying it on I'm a more... Okay. Sure. How about How about just, I'm, I'm not saying, okay. Sure. I'm saying, I'm doing like a more maybe extreme manifestation. Yeah. Like it
1: shows up in the, even just the, I'm not okay. Right.
0: Totally. And it's exactly, that's it. It's like, and and the thing is, though, is we if we don't question that, or if we're not conscious of it, that, I think, is when it can turn into like, you know you have ex- in extreme nazism right and in, in it's extreme um but again this boils down to violence right so that's it in it's extreme but but that's kind of like the the bottom line of like shadow work is becoming conscious of the unconscious you know what i mean and so i think that yeah it's it's more of like like to me the way that i look at that and i'm not saying that this is right at all. This is just my experience. Um, But the way that I look at that is um, it's your kind of responsibility to to become conscious of the unconscious so that you don't hurt other people. So that's just... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And I'll use that word very deliberately. It is absolutely everybody's responsibility. And I think the whole premise of... (sighs) This conversation was to check off the list, and now we've finally done the fucking podcast. Now <laughs> um, was to present <laughs> universal to the extent that we are confident in that, and and are are yeah, to the extent that we're confident about the knowledge we have, present universal ways to better and more and more effectively take responsibility. And there's no shortage of that from you, to say the least. <clears throat> um, I'm painfully aware of the time, or at least the need to check my phone. How are you doing? I was thinking the same are thing. Are you? We're okay.
0: I'm not sure but we're... Yeah, it's definitely been a couple hours or an hour and a half, probably at least.
1: Oh yeah, no, that, yeah that that part's normal. know. <laughs> uh, oh, that doesn't surprise me. It just in um in this in this moment seems like that's a. I think we've arrived at the questions that need to be that we needed to arrive at in this context now. Most importantly, though, to what you just said about responsibility, look, yeah, love. <laughs> I, Everything else we've expressed matters. And if you don't come back to, yeah, let's come back to love. But without, like you said, the, I like how you pointed out the fantasies or the, what was the other word you used? the, Maybe it was just the fantasy part.
0: Um I talked about fantasy controlling. Um
1: Yeah. I I think it's good to come back to the love part. I which agree. I did not expect. So I appreciate that for damn sure.
0: Thank you so much for having me on your podcast.
1: Do you want to play horse?
0: Yeah, let's go play horse. <laughs>
1: All right. See you at the end of June.
0: Yeah, see, see you. At the, are you going to come?
1: Yes, I'll be here.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Hey, that was great. Thank you, Riss. Again, please, um, you can see her and unpack more of this with her. and And so much more that we didn't even get into here at KORU on June 30th. Go to the website. You'll see the info there. You will be very glad. The, her capacity to handle a crowd, whether it's in a group discussion or a ceremony, uh, it's top-notch. I always learn when I see her in that context. It's, it's top-notch. She's top of her game. And it's an honor to know her. So thank you again, Riss. Thank you all for listening. Uh, appreciate the uh, those of you who actually listened to the intro way back when. Uh, get outside, get some sun, or enough sun, whatever that is for you. Um, I see a deer right out my window now, so I'm gonna take that as an indication that I need to go be out there. And hope you are as well. Or if you're driving, whenever you're done driving, you do you. Just you know, embrace being on Earth. Um. Riss would agree. (laughs) Be well. Thanks.